Support for CJSW podcasts comes from listeners like you. Visit cjsw.com and join thousands of people who make independent radio available in Calgary and beyond. Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the show that explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. I'm your host and resident Rave Dad, Paul Brooks. CJSW broadcasts out of Calgary, Alberta, at the University of Calgary campus radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Electronic dance music is a big part of who I am. I've had the privilege of programming beats on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary for over a decade. I met my partner and many friends in dark and sweaty nightclubs. I even planned my vacation time around electronic music festivals. Or at least, I used to. I've spent the last 15 years making a living in the music industry and nighttime economy, doing everything from bussing tables and cleaning up barf in nightclubs to producing, curating, and promoting music and cultural experiences for Canada's National Music Centre, British Columbia's Space Coast Electronic Music and Arts Festival, and the legendary Hi-Fi Club in Calgary. But then came 2020. Nightclubs and some venues are shuttered indefinitely. Parties and gatherings are currently outlawed. How will dance music and culture survive? That's the question I'm going to explore with Rave Dad's Diary. And here's how it's going to work. Season one of Rave Dad's Diary consists of 12 two-hour-long episodes. I feel like in 2020, we're closing a chapter on dance music as we know it. So in hour one of the show, I'll chronologically explore the years 2005 to 2017 and feature sounds and interviews from people I connected with in my first 12 years of nightlife. Hour two of the show explores the state of electronic dance music in 2020. It's a platform for the passionate people and thought leaders writing the next chapter on electronic dance music. That's a lot of radio to produce, and I want to be up front. I'm a volunteer, and I'm producing season one on the fly. I'm also rusty as hell. I'll be getting lots of help from CJSW staff and volunteer programmers. And if you're passionate about electronic music and culture, I'm going to get you involved too. But more on that later in the program. Now, I hope you've had your disco nap, because we're taking a trip back to 2005. Oh, and if you don't know what a disco nap is, stay tuned, because we'll be learning about it in a segment called Rave Slang. In 2005, I was 18 years old, and I lived with my parents on an acreage outside the village of Alex in central Alberta, Canada. 
My very first job out of high school was working in the music department at A&B Sound Electronics Store in the city of Red Deer. Working at A&B Sound felt like working at Empire Records. We had a lot of fun during and after work. I started dating one of my co-workers named Adrian. Adrian was a raver, and her and her best friend Dusty were tapped into Calgary's club scene. They took me out dancing and introduced me to a world of fun and freedom I didn't know existed. One of the first tracks I remember losing my mind to was this one. Milo's remix of Freeform 5's No More Conversations. Because Adrian and Dusty sparked my love of electronic dance music and culture, I reached out and we reminisced and brainstormed over like Zoom. Cool. You had your like giant mohawk, remember? I found out. Oh my god. You're gonna fucking kill me. We talked die. about Calgary's nightclub scene in 2005, and they tried to help me remember our first night out dancing together, which I think was at Manhattan Nightclub and featured a German DJ and producer named Steve Murano. How often were you two going out in 2005? Five days a week. Six yeah. Days a week. Well, no, we, we like slept on Sundays. <laughs> what do you remember about your first night out dancing? Yeah, somebody took me to a club. When I was 17, I had a fake ID. There was this like underground rave club in Lethbridge and they like, took me there and snuck me in. I was like, oh my God. Oh, God, my first club experience. Um, when did I move there? I moved to Calgary in 2003. Um, and I think it was with Jean, because she moved down with me. And um, it was kind of cool, because I came out to her, and she came out to me. So it was kind of really, like, went out dancing. It was just, like, nobody knew you. Dance away. Like, you pretty much, like, reinventing your identity and leaving that small rural um, dusty behind and everything like that, right? Um, it was definitely, it took a while to get comfortable on the dance floor for sure because, you know, I didn't know how to dance to like all this like crazy music. I'm trying to remember more about our first night out together, which I think was at Manhattan Nightclub. What do you remember about the club? Do you remember the sketchy dance floor in Manhattan? There was like missing oh, tiles. So. Like tripping all over the place. Totally. <laughs> Dusty, Adrian, and I hadn't spoken in years, but it was amazing to catch up with them. For some reason, our memories of 2005 were a little blurry. But Adrian has tons of photographs from that era. I'm so glad I went through my awkward baby raver phase before Facebook. To see photos of Adrian, Dusty, and little baby raver Paul, follow Rave Dad's diary on Instagram. While we couldn't nail down the specific date we first went dancing together, the chat with Adrian and Dusty did remind me of a local DJ called Titus One, who was a resident at Calgary's Manhattan Club and is still active today. Well, as active as any DJ is in 2020. Through Titus One's meticulously detailed website, I learned that he once shared the stage with Steve Murano. Ding, ding! I sent an email to Tito Madrid, a.k.a. Titus One, and he got back to me right away. 
We connected on Zoom and talked about the days of mini disc players and penny highball drink specials. I'm trying to piece back together my first night out dancing, which was in Calgary with <laughs> my, my, my girlfriend at the time, Adrian, and her friend, Dusty. And it was at Manhattan Nightclub. Ooh, those are the other days. What do you remember about Manhattan Nightclub around 2005? Oh, man. So just like a brief history of like Manhattan. It, so a long time ago, there was a, a collective of guys that, um, you know, they were looking for places. And then this is in the days when regular club shows were happening on Wednesday, Thursdays. We didn't really get the, the EDM boom that had like the prime pick of day of the week, right? Um, and, and, and it's understandable. I mean, most venues... They didn't want to mess with their format. They were, they had, were happy with their numbers on the weekends with their top 40. So it was like, it was really hard to get like a regular thing without a headliner on like, uh, you know, any place really. And there's only a few things that were kind of going on. Um, Manhattan's was one that popped up. It was kind of like a, a failing club. Um, and there's different dynamics that they added in, but just, it was all about the culture of the music. Every week, every night of the week had its thing. Like one was more like break em- emphasis um like breaks breaks music like just new breaks new school breaks you know just big room breaks big beat all that stuff uh the other, the other one was a little bit more like electro set and then i remember we teamed up with this other guy they'd offer us offered us a thursday and it was really hard because it was um it's a thursday right and like no one wants to go out and get wasted or do anything and have to wake up friday and have to wake up early to go to work or whatever right so they gave us like a little more leeway with aglc back in those days um people were allowed to do like cheaper drink specials. So in those days we were, we did like a thing called penny highballs and it was nuts because they kind of played with the structure a bit. So like we would get waves and waves of people coming in like constantly busy throughout the night, but it was um, more of like an open, if you want to call it EDM within those days, more electronic format. We had both guys that were, you know, electro or, you know, hard house or funky breaks or, you know, just all sorts of things. Um, all the nights were pretty strong. Like they were just very, very community driven. Um, it was really just another world, another time. Um, and, and just exposing everyone to just different varieties kind of just opened up, opened up another window, I guess. There's there, cause we would get a mix of people that weren't really into like the scene at that time. They were, you know, people that were, were huge into like the warehouse nightclub or the, the after nightlife kind of thing. Um, it would kind of open the, open up the doors to like, at the time I met some of my, some of my closest friends back in the day, they weren't even into electronic music, but they would come because of the penny eyeballs. And then they would realize like, Oh, this is the kind of music. Like this isn't top 40. This is cool. The penny highballs are legendary because, um, when I was talking to Adrian and Dusty, they're like penny highballs. It brought, the, <laughs> it, it brought the people in. That was like the hook. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do, do you remember playing with Steve Murano? Oh yeah, yeah. Steve Rano was amazing back then. I think it was uh it was interesting though, because like West Coast, he was he had a really big draw. He was like in general, like in um just had a really big emphasis on like a, his own sound. It was kind of like an electro meets kind of like hard house, meets kind of like it was a little faster paced, you know, 134, 135 kind of BPM on like electro, it was a sped up kind of electro, but it was unique enough that he had a pretty big draw. My first night out dancing. You've helped me. You've helped me figure it out. <laughs> um, I, I, we're gonna share a mix from you. 
okay. from this time frame. And I was doing research online. And when I stumbled across your website, it really sped up my research because you have this immaculate website with dozens of mixes available on it archived why is your website so great like everything i mean even when i started producing in like around 2007 um the one thing i always believe in is like i don't know like most guys will want to change like their names or do whatever and then they come into certain pinnacle points in their career where they want to you know transition to something else and that's something you know kind of leave it to its legacy or let it die kind of thing but i've always believed that it's i'm always constantly growing constantly learning and it's just been a constant journey it's just regardless of what it is like i love all genres i uh, definitely not one of those genre shamer kind of type guys like um it's weird right like it's it's funny because sometimes you'll talk to some some people and they grow up and they it's like they it's like they pretend tiesto didn't exist and it's like no man tiesto was amazing <laughs> like, he used to love sparkles and guys like djl and like trance and side trance and I would never like all those sounds just influenced me in so many ways. And they kind of, they're kind of like little milestones that bring you back to those points. And you remember like, Oh yeah, I remember loving that music when I was at that time frame and the people that you meet and the memories that you share, they're just always constantly ingrained. And it's just a constant, uh, uh, I don't know, just another piece to your puzzle, right. To just creating who you are or who you're going to be anyways. But no, no way. I never shy from that. It's just, uh, really and i always wanted to capture that i I kept every photo every video every everything and like even with production wise like i always released whatever even if it was at the time i I loved it (laughs) it might have been like by regular standards not the greatest produced song or whatever but it was just part of the journey right like i just wanted to share growth and um development you know it sounds change things change but some of the root kind of signatures are always the same. The mix we're going to listen to is called The Grind. And <laughs> it's, uh, it says this is a solid blend of club electro bass lines and high energy grooves featuring the latest in electro and banging house. Release date July 2006. T- tell me what it was like to record a mix like this back in the day. Oh man, in those days. So back in the days, like I was, a, I was originally a vinyl DJ for for a long time um and i was one of those guys that was like very purist i was very you know um i know never never cds never digital never anything is vinyl 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 and vinyl was very expensive and it's funny that it all added up like i could have bought probably Amers, you know lamborghini <laughs> money that i you want know, people could look at it as like a waste but it was, it was part of the journey right like i think by the end of the vinyl days i maybe cashed out at about 2100 pieces I actually got rid of all of it to different friends, family. Uh, the only thing I kept is like the thing that was dear to my heart was uh, 300 pieces of Speed Garage and like UK Speed Garage that you can't find anywhere that those guys are like the purest of purest. Like they, there was even a time where they wouldn't even release things digitally. They just refused to. Like if you wanted the song, you had to buy it on vinyl, <laughs> even up to like maybe up to 2015, 16. Um, but yeah, like um, back in those days, I had a mini disc player optical line in i had to you had to really 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 be conscious of uh your your lines and not having you know redlining or uh really eqing a little more immaculate because it, it would record on another 
you know, analog kind of output and it would sound terrible <laughs> if you max out all your EQs, right? Um, so yeah, you did your two turntables, you mixer, mixer out to like a little mini disc player and you have to kind of like hit it record and you have a little bit of dead space or whatever. And then back in those days, we'd kind of try and, and even to chop it, um, there wasn't really a lot of really good audio editing programs. There was just, you would run it through something that would burn it as a CD and then you'd have to regut the CD to break it into pieces because people wanted to listen to tracks individually because back in those days, people didn't do that. It was just a continuous mix of 60 minutes. <laughs> And some guy, sometimes some guys were like, hey, I really like that song. It's like halfway through, but I just want to listen to that song. <laughs> so it kind of brought up other challenges in the future, but it was interesting. It was, it was good times. I mean, you'd sit there, there was, you know, you, you'd mess up a mix. You, you would stop the whole thing and you'd have to start it all over again. <laughs> that perfectionist and everyone would always kick in and kind of, it would turn like a, a 60 minute mix into like a week long ordeal sometimes. <laughs> For the rest of this hour, we're going to listen to a mix by Titus One, recorded in 2006, called The Grind. Please do yourself a favor and check out Titus One's website, titusone.ca, and explore an archive of DJ mixes spanning nearly two decades. I've also posted an old-school photo of Titus One on the Rave Dad's Diary Instagram. Go check it out, at Rave Dad's Diary.
in 2006 with Titus One. You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM in Calgary. We'll be right back. 
once again. Once again. Once again. As we come to the end of the first hour of Rave Dad's Diary, it's time for Rave Slang. Earlier in the show, I said something about taking a disco nap. This one is really low-hanging fruit, I know. According to Oxford English Dictionary, a disco nap is a brief nap taken to restore a person's energy before attending a nightclub or late-night party. Hence, more generally, any brief restorative nap. A power nap. Do you have an idea for rave slang we should feature on the show? Maybe something that can't be found in the Oxford Dictionary? Maybe it's more of an urban dictionary kind of thing. Email me, ravedad at cjsw.com. I'm also looking for photos and memories from Calgary's Manhattan nightclub. Maybe you have a ticket stub from the time Steve Murano played. I'd love to see it. Use the hashtag ravedadsdiary or send me an email or a voice memo. That email, again, is ravedad at cjsw.com. You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW in Calgary. We're listening to a new track by Sabota called Collins. 
On a mid-October afternoon in 2020, Vancouver-based electronic acts Sabota and Yusu each performed sets on the rooftop of Bentall Tower 1 in downtown Vancouver. There was even a light show. The spectacle, set against the iconic Vancouver skyline, was called Public Disco in the Sky, and it was the culmination of the 2020 season of Public Disco, an event series aimed at transforming underutilized public space into much-needed event space. I reached out to Public Disco's director, Nicholas Collinette, to learn more about Public Disco and how the organization is connecting with audiences despite the pandemic. Tell me about Public Disco in the Sky. Public Disco in the Sky was a two-hour performance video on top of Bentall Tower One in downtown Vancouver. We worked with Bentall Center and Soft Landing, which is the tech firm downtown, as well as the Downtown Vancouver Business Association to produce something that we had never really done before, which is use a drone on top of a tower with an LED light installation and live music performances and get all sorts of permits that we didn't know about before for doing that safely. But the process, I think we created a really beautiful two-hour presentation of music from Vancouver in Vancouver, showcasing Vancouver in all its glory, sonic beauty and visual beauty together. Two things that often are lacking the sort of connection and synergy in Vancouver, its natural beauty and its artistic talent, I feel are all too often disconnected. And uh, so I really just wanted to put those two beautiful things about our city side by side. Tell me about some of the public disco events that you did before 2020. So some of our first events were not public disco events. They were experimentations in public space with other festivals and events. Car Free Day was our first. Mural Festival was our second. And from those two experiences we realized that something was extremely needed, that the simplicity of music in public space, where people of various ages and backgrounds could connect to the music scene that many of us know and love, that had a special power to it that needed to be explored. So the following year, I created a brand and got a grant through the city of Vancouver's um, Viva Vancouver, which is the street, street activation dis- department. And we did a series of three that turned into a series of four that just kept going and hopping around the city, trying to find whatever spaces we could to animate with music and dancing. And it's really ballooned and expanded from there year after year as we realized that public space is just the perfect avenue for connection to art and culture. Part of Public Disco's mission is to celebrate the history and origins of electronic dance music. Tell me about how that fits into the series. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I, as a queer person, I have done some learning about the roots of this culture connected to my own identity and I didn't 
used to realize the connection, but I also didn't really to celebrate my queerness very much or recognize it. And when I started to do that, I started to learn more about its history and the history of dance music and how these two parts of my identity were actually interwoven and how I was also missing a whole lot of history about that stuff through just the lack of education. Um, coming up in a scene that's very white male dominated, very cis hetero, and I kind of reflected that. And after doing that exploration around what is possible in terms of just letting loose and becoming more open about queerness and celebrating those attributes, I, through that process, realized that we need to celebrate that more through our, our culture, through dance music scenes. And that connects not with, not just with queer culture and queer people, but marginalized groups, Blacks, Latinos, all sorts of different groups of people that created these, these scenes, trans people, all sorts of, you know, that and just realizing that our scenes weren't really reflecting that too much and that I wasn't, but that public space would be the perfect place to, to reconnect that and to, to teach people about that and to re-engage those communities together. Um, and yeah, we've just been getting better at that every year and more work to do. Tell me about one of your most memorable public disco events from last year. Wow, 2019 was full. We did so many events. I can't remember how many Pride events, but I think, I think it was something like six or seven in a week uh, or in 10 days. And that whole week was just really amazing because... We featured so many different types of artists in so many different types of ways. And the city was was like wanting more. And that was just so beautiful after for so long, not really feeling any energy in public, in the daylight of this community. And, you know, each of those events, you know, connected people in a different way but but the one that was the most beautiful i think was maybe the most simple one which was a um the summer movie nights at the vancouver art gallery plaza um and we had made in china and shade Dior, two drag artists from vancouver performing on the steps of the art gallery with i believe a few thousand folks sitting and these are not people that came for a pride event these are people that came for a movie night but we were curating the pre-show and the people sitting there were just dazzled by the performers and everyone was had their phone out with, you know whatever but everyone was learning and engaging with two fabulous fantastic queer artists that were just tearing down gender stereotypes and norms and really changing the way people are seen in public space and the way art is seen in public space and experienced and the way people connect to gender. And, and it was just beautiful. And uh, we had the art gallery lit up in rainbow colors, as tacky as it is, but it looked gorgeous with the performance and 
yeah, that was just a magical moment. When did you know that your 2020 season was going to be completely disrupted by the pandemic? It was a rolling realization. I remember very vividly being in my chair at my desk at work, just kind of slowly day to day realizing that everything was falling apart. Um, because folks don't realize, but had a full summer calendar program that was in the works with a major corporate funder making it all happen, a full-time job first time to do it. Well, I mean, I've been doing this as a full-time job for a few years, but actually with you know, an actual salary. So seeing that kind of just slowly fall apart after coming together for, I mean, what seems like a decade leading up to it, you know, leading up to finally having that like one contract job that sustains you <laughs> doing what you love. So that was really hard to let go of. It was uh, devastating because we were going to do some really cool stuff and it all fell apart. But I quickly realized that being in that mindset of frustration and disappointment was going to get me nowhere and that it was all around me and I needed to just like get creative right off the bat. My brain was like, what can we do? How can we do it? And we were thinking about contingency plans and continuity plans from day one. And it, to be honest, it burnt me out because I was just like, we were in the early days constantly getting new information and learning about what can and can't happen. And that in itself was exhausting, but we, through that time, ignited a lot of ideas that ended up happening. And some of them happened in bigger ways than we even could have imagined. Most, most of them actually did, <laughs> you know? So that was really special. When you're watching the, the premiere of your video, you've already done all the work. So you just get to sit back and kind of enjoy its beauty and be like, whoa, we did this. <laughs> Whereas during an event, I'm like so stressed that I cannot enjoy what I'm doing. Um, I enjoy it later thinking about it, but this was like, it's in the world right now and we're all enjoying this together, which has a beautiful sense of connection in a time when we all are so disconnected. So that's really nice. And uh, I think we need to find ways to keep doing more of that, keep creating more experiences, digital or not, in person, whatever, smaller. Let's just continue finding those 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 ways because they exist. And uh, if this project can do anything, I hope it just inspires other people to, to do the same, to find ways to innovate. We have done so much to create careers out of what we love, which is connecting people through music. And that doesn't just stop. You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM, CJSW. I'm here with Jonathan Crane, host of Thriller Bark on 90.9 FM CJSW. 
Thriller Bark used to be on in the wee hours of Saturday morning where Rave Dad's Diary now lives. You can listen to Thriller Bark Tuesdays, 4 to 6 p.m. Mountain Time and on demand at cjsw.com. Jonathan has an encyclopedic knowledge of music, and he's put together a mix showcasing various forms of electro for us. You'll hear that in just a minute. What was the last show that you went to in a conventional nightclub? I think I was actually at the club like the second last day before they closed. So I think that was actually like March 14th or 15th, I want to say. But it was uh, the last Saturday before Habitat shut down. Do you remember who was playing that night? Uh, yeah, it was Eset, I think. Eset and someone else. You're a big champion of Calgary's electronic music scene. How do you describe it to people from outside of Calgary? Uh, I think it's probably like one of the best. Like, uh, yeah, both like my dad and I, like my dad's been going out to uh, events as well for a long time. And like we both are of the opinion that uh, there isn't that much that we've seen like on our travels, like through Europe and through the States and other parts of the world that compares to Calgary's music scene. I think that, like, once you kind of break the surface and you discover, like, where all the good spots are, our music scene is definitely, I think, a lot better than uh, a lot of other places globally. Are there any uh, producers that, uh, I mean, I know that you have a lot of friends that are producers, but anybody that you want to, like, highlight um, or any of the tracks uh, from local producers you want to highlight that are in the mix that you've prepared? Uh, yeah, well, one label that I really have to give a shout-out to is Oscillate Records. So Oscillate is a collective that started hosting shows to celebrate live electronic music, like where they're creating it live with hardware and, uh, like, in some cases, software and various uh, contraptions. And uh, they have two compilations out on iTunes, I Love Oscillate. I think both those compilations showcase uh, where electronic music is at in calgary right now there's also still substation recordings they're still putting out a lot of great local content also recovery mode label started by mark adam that's uh, also showcasing a lot of great electronic music and yeah for the uh, for the mix that i made you there is one local track that's uh, on off on tilted radius i think that's probably the only like local track that's being produced that's like actual like real electro so jonathan can you set up the mix for us yeah so with electro basically there's three periods so the first period uh would be back in the 80s when it first started appearing and you can find a lot of examples of electro in old school hip-hop grandmaster flash africa bombada i also have one track on the mix that is a old brazilian electro track that kind of paved the way for modern Biley funk. So that's like the first stage of electro. The second stage is uh, like in the late 2000s when we started going out to clubs. The word electro, I think, was then applied to music that was kind of coming out of dance music's blogosphere that a lot of uh, young artists were making, like Steve Aoki's Pillow Face Mix, for example. I think that really uh, symbolizes like what was referred to as electro at that time. And then I uh, focused on one subgenre of that called Electro Trash that was coming out of Europe, artists like Toxic Avenger and uh, some other people who were uh, doing it Heiser and uh, Trash This. 
So that was a kind of like a more frenetic sound that I think is actually based on punk music slightly. And then stage three would be uh, like in the past five years, a lot of artists have started rediscovering like the 80s style of electro and making tracks like that. And uh, this new wave of electro is, uh, I think, leaning closer to European techno, like German techno. It has a lot of those same soundscapes. So that's kind of like how I see the progression of electro. Awesome. All right. Well, let's check it out.
Minha cara autoridade, eu já não sei o que fazer Com tanta violência eu sinto medo de viver Pois moro na favela e sou muito desrespeitado A tristeza e a alegria que caminham lado a lado Eu faço uma oração para uma santa protetora Mas sou interrompido a tiros de metralhadora Enquanto os ricos moram numa casa grande e bela O pobre é humilhado e esculachado na favela Já não aguento mais essa onda de violência Só peço autoridade um pouco mais de competência Vamos lá, vamos lá Eu só quero é ser feliz Andar tranquilamente na favela onde eu nasci ah, E poder me orgulhar E ter a consciência que o pobre tem seu lugar eu só quero é ser feliz, 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 feliz Onde eu nasci, é E poder me orgulhar E ter a consciência que o pobre tem seu lugar Diversão hoje em dia não podemos nem pensar Pois até lá nos bailes eles vêm nos humilhar Fica lá na praça que era tudo tão normal Agora virou moda violência no local Pessoas inocentes que não tem nada a ver Estão perdendo hoje o seu direito de viver Nunca vi cartão postal que se destaque uma favela Só vejo paisagem muito linda e muito bela Quem vai pro exterior da favela sente saudade O gringo vem aqui e não conhece a realidade Vai pra zona sul pra conhecer água de coco E o pobre na favela vive passando sufoco Trocar a presidência uma nova esperança Sofri na tempestade, agora eu quero a bonança Povo tem a força, precisa descobrir Se eles lá não fazem nada, faremos tudo daqui Quero ouvir, eu só quero é ser feliz Andar tranquilamente na favela onde eu nasci É, e poder me orgulhar E ter a consciência que o pobre tem seu lugar eu, eu só quero é ser feliz, 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 feliz Onde eu nasci, ah, e poder me orgulhar É, o pobre tem o seu lugar Diversão hoje em dia, nem pensar Pois até lá nos bailes eles vêm nos humilhar Fica lá na praça que era tudo tão normal Agora virou moda violência no Pessoas inocentes que não tem nada a ver Estão perdendo hoje o seu direito de viver Nunca vi cartão postal que se destaque uma favela Só vejo paisagem muito linda e muito bela Quem vai pro exterior da favela sem se
mean love too.
Episode 1 of Rave Dad's Diary is coming to a close. Please tune in next week for the CJSW Funding Drive edition of the show. I'll be in the studio live, and I'll be chatting with some special guests about the year 2006 and the emerging subgenre of electronic music called dubstep. Head to fundingdrive.ca to pledge now and support Campus and Community Radio. I think in 2020, we need Campus and Community Radio more than ever. Rave Dad's Diary is written, produced, and hosted by Paul Brooks. This show is produced on Treaty 7 land at CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Season 1 theme music is Orchestral Lab by Guido, released on Punch Drunk Records. Thank you to everyone who's helped get this show launched, especially CJSW's incredible staff and volunteers. And special thanks to my captive editor and wife, Sarah. Stay safe, and we'll talk again next week. Before we end,